Welcome to the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast, featuring the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie. Hey, that's me, answering your questions on hockey or just about anything else, within reason, of course. If you have a question you would like answered, email me at bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca. And we'll try to get it on the Bobcast. We were a blowout of wicked proportions. An accidental company. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the At TSN Hockey Bobcast Season 2, Episode 6. This one for Friday, December 1st, 2017. So happy December, everyone. Just a few weeks till Christmas. December is uh, usually a really fun month. It's a busy one, too. I mean, it's uh, heavy on the social calendar. Lots of friends, lots of family, lots of parties. Um, but it's also very busy for me on the uh, on the work front. And I, and I love it. But um, this is a month, December, when I could actually use to clone myself. Because I think I need one Bob to cover the NHL, as per usual. Uh, lots of busy things happening in the, in, the, in the world of the National Hockey League. But I also need another Bob to be able to uh, cover and uh, start to jump in, both feet in, on the World Junior Championship because it is the season. Uh, I should point out that uh, Wednesday, December 6th, it was supposed to be Monday, December 4th, but Wednesday, December 6th, Hockey Canada will be announcing 30 players, give or take a couple, uh, to be invited to uh, Team Canada's final selection camp, which is, um, I guess, the players report on Monday, December 11th in St. Catharines, Ontario. So they'll be on the ice every day that week, and I think they've got games scheduled against the universe, the U Sports All-Star team on uh, Wednesday the 13th and Thursday the 14th, and then they've got a final tune-up match of, from the selection camp anyways against Denmark, who's in their pool this year, by the way, at the, uh, at the World Juniors. Um, so anyways, a game on the 15th of December, Friday, against Denmark, and then the, the, they don't have to name the team the next day or that night, but they'll get pretty close to it. Um, there are a couple more pre-tournament games. Uh, Canada versus the Czechs in London at the Budweiser Memorial Gardens, I presume, on Wednesday, December the 20th. And um, Canada versus Switzerland on Friday, December 22nd in Hamilton at whatever they're calling Cops Coliseum these days. At least I assume that's where it's at. I uh, should point out that uh, the World Junior does open in Buffalo, New York. Um, wasn't that long ago we were in Buffalo. That was a bad one for Team Canada, third period. Kuznetsov, Panarin, not good. Tarasenko. Uh, anyways, I digress. Uh, so just to give you a rundown on the Team Canada schedule, they play on Boxing Day, Canada against Finland. That'll be a good one. Finns are always tough. Uh, on the 27th, so the next day, they play Slovakia. Canada does. Day off. And then on the 29th of December, it's Canada-USA outdoor game, New Era Field, home of the Buffalo Bills. I don't know how I feel about it. Actually, I do know how I feel about it. I don't like it. As Howard Stern would say, doing his uh, his uh, impression of, uh, what's his face? I forget now. Because I, I, I don't like it. Um, outdoor games, okay, I guess. But uh, we don't have Canada-U.S. on New Year's Eve. In fact, we don't have any Canadian game on New Year's Eve because Canada-U.S. has the outdoor game on the 29th. And then the next day on the 30th, Canada's playing Denmark. And on New Year's Eve, Canada's got it off. Um, 
James Duffy and I will be working along with Gord Miller and Ray Ferraro on New Year's Eve, but we'll be doing USA Finland at 4 o'clock and Russia Sweden at 8 p.m. So it won't be the same, although Russia Sweden, especially if Andrei Svechnikov, who, by the way, is coming back to the Barry Colt lineup. Um, I'm assuming Andrei Svechnikov's going to make the Russian team. Uh, can't imagine he wouldn't. I don't know what they'd be thinking if they didn't put him on it. But in any case, uh, Svechnikov, who's challenging Rasmus Dahlin for the number one spot in this year's NHL entry draft. That's a great New Year's Eve matchup still with uh, Svechnikov and the Russians against, I'm presuming, Rasmus Dahlin will be on the Swedish team. And uh, that's our New Year's Eve game. Not the same as Canada-US, but nevertheless, it'll be a great tournament, whatever it is. And then, of course, uh, January 1's a day off. And then the uh, the quarterfinals, semifinals, gold, bronze will be there for uh, for all of that. So basically, my preparation, like real intense preparation for the World Juniors begins now. It actually began a few weeks ago. started with those Russia OHL, Russia WHL, Russia QMJHL games. Um, but now it gets pretty intense, and you got to try to figure out, you know, what I haven't even started yet on the, what the Swedes, the Finns, the Russians, the Czechs, and uh, some of those other European teams are going to look like. And you've got to do that. But you, and I'm at the camp every day for Canada, and I'm keeping an eye on what's going on. The American camp, by the way, opens uh, December 15th in Columbus, Ohio, and I'll be keeping a real close eye on what the Americans are up to. We'll talk about that a little more in a bit. But I've also got like a gazillion radio hits every day, and I know I'm going to go on Montreal Radio and Edmonton Radio and Ottawa Radio and Toronto and Vancouver, and they're going to ask me all about the NHL, and I'm up to my eyeballs in World Junior, but I've got to try to stay current with the NHL. So, yeah, and then on top of all that, if that's not enough, not that I'm complaining, um, the Olympics are coming up, and uh, not surprisingly, uh, a number of the questions we got for this edition of the Bobcast do have an international hockey flavor for them, um, and we will get to those. But um, in the, I wanted to give you a very quick preview of a, a couple of things. We are going to have Olympic talk. We're going to have some World Junior talks, Canada and, and the United States in particular, as far as the World Juniors go. But uh, we're also going to take you to uh, Valhalla. And for the love of Odin, we're going to talk about TV series. Mostly those on Netflix, but we're going to talk some some TV, some shows. And uh, those che- that, that uh, cheesy Viking line I used on Valhalla and Odin, it, it does explain a little bit why I'm calling this the let's get this podcast done as quickly as possible so I can watch the two-hour season five premiere of Vikings edition of the Bobcast. Um, I don't know uh, where you need to be today, but uh, I got to get to Cadigat to see what uh, Ragnar Lothbrook's boys and wives are getting into. So uh, stick around for some Viking talk. And um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, be patient, and if it bothers you that I talk like that, don't don't get upset. I'm gonna uh, otherwise I will inflict a blood eagle on you. And if you don't know what a blood eagle is, it's apparently a ritualistic way to kill somebody. And it was on season two, episode seven of Vikings, if I'm not mistaken, mistaken, where uh, you take your victim and get them to kneel down, and then you apparently using a very sharp knife, sever the ribs from the spine 
and then pull the victim's lungs out from the back and put them up on the victim's shoulders like a pair of eagle wings where they apparently die the most painful death possible um, while bleeding out but not dying immediately from the severed ribs from the spine. It's terrible stuff. But anyways, um, the, you will also get today on the, the Bobcast the appearance of Bobby Rotten Tomatoes, a TV critic extraordinaire, especially when it comes to uh, British TV copper shows, of which I'm something of an expert. But let's get to the, the hockey questions here. And uh, as we said, international hockey flavor to start things off. This one comes from Chris, who happens to live in the same town as me. Hello, Bob. Greetings from a fellow Whitbyite and hockey fan. My question is about the Olympics in Pyeongchang. With NHL players not going, and with the KHL threatening things as well, how good should we expect the hockey to be? When push comes to shove, all of Canada will be cheering for whomever is wearing the maple leaf, but could you give us an idea of who we can expect to see in South Korea for Canada and the other hockey powers well obviously when you start talking about the olympics the very first thing you need to say is there's no nhl players there we know that and it's not going to be the same and it's not even going to be close um but said saying that um the guys that do go to represent countries there's going to be some great stories there you just know there are they're going to be some individual stories that are compelling um and it's always great to hear stories on that stage but let's be honest the hockey's not even close to what we've seen um, when, when when you think of, of what we saw in Sochi. Um, in particular, for me, what I saw, because I wasn't hands-on in Sochi. I, I worked in studio at TSN for that one. Didn't see the games live. But I had a ringside seat for every game of the entire 2000 Olympic tournament in Vancouver. And the level of hockey was as good as I've ever seen it. I always used to say, and I think most hockey aficionados um, with some history in the game would tell you that the 1987 Canada Cup, the best of three uh, final between the Soviets and Canada, 6-5, was hockey at its highest level. It was the zenith, and it always was for me. Um, The only thing that would rival it for me was the overall level of play not just in the, the Canada-USA gold medal game and Sidney Crosby's golden goal, but the, um, uh, the entire tournament was, uh, was remarkable, the, the level of hockey. And I, I still remember just being in awe of watching Drew Doughty and Duncan Keith play the game of hockey in that, um, in that tournament. So, you know, are we going to get that this time around? Nope, not even close. Um, but it's still the Olympic stage. That's a big deal. Put the five rings on anything, and uh, and we'll, we'll watch it and uh, attach more importance to it than if it were just being played in some international tournament in Europe. Um, so, Chris and Whitby, what I would simply say is, yeah, the hockey's going to be at a much lower level, but it's going to still be extremely competitive uh, because of the, the, the stage and the scope of the Olympics. And uh, you put that maple leaf on, on a sweater and put a competitive game out there and we're, we're going to watch it even though the national hockey league will be going on at the same time. And these games is from what I understand, maybe at rather odd hours of the day or night. So let, let's talk about the Canadian and U S uh, approaches or teams, what they, they may or may not look like uh, for Canada. It's mostly going to be ex NHLers playing in Europe. The evaluation is still very much going on 
for Hockey Canada, Sean Burke, the former National Hockey League goaltender, is uh, sort of the executive director overseeing this Olympic effort. And the next evaluation tool for Hockey Canada and Sean Burke is the Channel One Cup in Moscow, uh, December 13th to 17th. Canada's going to play a series of three games, one against South Korea, one against the Czech Republic, and one against the Russians. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, from what I understand, I would say the bulk of the team, and I'm not quite sure what the definition of bulk is on a 23-man roster, but I would say the bulk of the Canadian Olympic team, uh, and certainly not all of it, um, will be playing for Canada in this Channel One Cup uh, December 13th to 17th. Now, I, the reason I say not all of it is because Canadian-born uh, Canadian players who are eligible for the Olympics who play in the Swiss League um, were not able to be released for the Channel One Cup in Moscow. So those players are going to get to play in the Spengler Cup, as they usually do anyways, at Christmas. And so there are going to be some guys from that Spengler Cup team um, that is uh, ex-NHLers or ex-North American pro, ex-Canadian pros who play in Switzerland now who are going to be sprinkled in with the guys that are playing for Canada at the Channel One Cup. And, of course, head coach Willie Desjardins will get a good feel at both the Channel One Cup and the Spengler for how he's going to construct his team. Just to give you an idea of uh, the players that are on this uh, Channel One Cup roster, there's my old friend Wojtek Volski, 1986-born. Saw that kid growing up from the time he plays hockey since he was four or five years old. Anybody knows the story from Hockey Dead, my True Confessions book? Uh, Wojtek Volski made my son Mike cry when they were uh, in uh, seven-year-old select, but that's another story. Matt Fratton um, is uh, on this Channel One Cup team. I'll just list off these names. They're all fairly recognizable to varying degrees. Matt Fratton, Derek Roy, Taylor Beck. Ryan Garbett, Eric O'Dell, Brandon Cozen, Rene Bork, Lyndon Vey, Gilbert Brule, Matt Ellison, P.A. Parento, Max Talbot. Max Talbot, there's a blast from the past. Teddy Purcell, Rob Klinkhammer. Those are the forwards. On defense, Carl Stollery, Sean Lalonde, Che Genoway, Chris Lee, Maxime Noro, Simone Dupre, Stefan Elliott, Matt Robinson, and the goaltenders, Ben Scrivens and Barry Brust. So as I said, the core of the Canadian team is in amongst those players that I just listed. I would surmise that you're going to see Ben Scrivens, the former Cornell Big Red goaltender, uh, who also played against my son Mike McKenzie for four years at college. Um, uh, so Ben's going to be one of the goaltenders in my mind. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, on defense, I think and this is an interesting... Uh, we mentioned interesting stories. How about... 37-year-old Chris Lee, native of McTeer, Ontario, which is a stone's throw from Pierre Lebrun's cottage. Um, Chris Lee, if I remember correctly, has not played a game in the National Hockey League, um, but has quite a, uh, a journeyman pro slash international resume. I think it's almost a guarantee that, uh, that that he'll be on that Canadian Olympic team. And the other guy who, who who's apparently earned rave reviews for what he's been doing is a guy that was recently in the National Hockey League, and that is Carl Stollery, um, who's a 1987-born player who um, played last season for the New... I think he played 16 games 
for the New Jersey Devils last season. So I, I think Lee and Stollery have a good chance to be core guys on the blue line. Ben Scrivens, the goaltender. And I think Rennie Bork up front is a, a forward who, amongst all those other guys, uh, might uh, go into this Channel One Cup with maybe a bit of an edge um, with the way he's been playing and the, and the profile that they're, uh, they're looking for. So, um, as I say, this whole Olympic, Canadian Olympic roster for Sean Burke is very much a work in progress. Now, what you might surmise from those names that I gave you is that Team Canada will be missing some really sort of high-end skill and finishing ability. And um, I think Sean Burke is, is looking at that, and he may need some of that in the form of younger players, players who are playing junior hockey in the Canadian Hockey League. And there's, if you remember previous podcast, we mentioned that Jordan Cairo, the St. Louis second-round pick who plays for Sarney in the OHL, and Robert Thomas, the um, St. Louis Blue first-round pick, who plays for London in the OHL, and Sam Steele, the Anaheim uh, Duck Prost uh, first-rounder, who plays for Regina in the Western Hockey League, are three potential candidates that have that high-level offensive skill and finishing ability um, who are very much on the radar. Now, this is a contentious issue, and we'll talk more on that in a, in a moment. In fact, we've got a question about that. But I should also point out that on the Spengler Cup team, I am led to believe that Dylan Secura, who attends Northeastern University and is a fairly highly touted Chicago Blackhawk prospect, and Jake Evans, who's a draft pick of the a late round pick of the Montreal Canadiens, who plays at Notre Dame, those two collegiate players, Sakura and Evans, uh, both from the greater Toronto area, um, they are going to be on the Spengler team, and they too might fall into that category that Kairou, Thomas, and Steele fall into of if they can show uh, some offensive flair at this uh, Spengler Cup. Uh, they might be able to play their way into a situation where they would be excused from their college teams to go play uh, for Team Canada in Pyeongchang. Now, moving on to Team USA, uh, head coach Tony Granado and uh, his able assistant coach Chris Chelios, who's uh, handling the D for him, um, they don't have any more tournaments to evaluate players. They're done. They just did the Deutschland Cup last month. Uh, so they just need to meet and debate uh, and what their final 23-man roster is going to look like. And uh, I think Tony Granado's probably got a pretty good idea who his first 8 to 10 guys are, and then probably there's a lot of debate after that. So I, I think he knows at this point who one of his goaltenders will be, who maybe two or three of his D will be, and who through four or five of the forwards could be. Uh, who might some of those players be? Well, they're not all household names, that's for sure. Uh, the goaltender, for example, uh, is I think is going to be Ryan Zapolsky, who played college hockey at Mercyhurst and then went on and played a bunch of years in the East Coast Hockey League and never really made it to the American Hockey League or the National Hockey League, um, but has been playing in Europe and he's been lights out for Jokerit in the KHL. So he seems to have a leg up on everybody else as being on the team, I would think. Uh, on defense, there is a couple of recognizable names. In a, in, in, if Canada's got a 37-year-old in Chris Lee, 
the Americans have might have their equivalent here. Um, the, the the first guy whose name you'll probably recognize is Matt Gilroy. Uh, came out of Boston University, uh, was a free agent, uh, played Tampa, um, the Rangers, a number of NHL teams, but he's playing very well for Yokrit in the KHL. I think he's a given on the U.S. blue line. Here's the blast from the past. 35-year-old Noah Welsh uh, played at Harvard, uh, was a second-round pick of the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2001, um, but apparently has played really well this year in Europe and uh, was very good in the Deutschland Cup and may well have played his way on to uh, that Team USA blue line. So keep an eye on that. I think up front you can ink in Brian Gionta uh, recently of the National Hockey League. Didn't get an NHL job this year, but uh, very much uh, wants to be part of the Olympic experience. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's your Team USA captain. That's just me speculating, not anything from anybody associated with the team. Uh, and if you're going to have an old guy like Brian Gianna, here's another guy that I would absolutely say is uh, is guaranteed a spot, but he's a young guy, and that's Troy Terry, the Anaheim Duck prospect who plays at Denver University. Um, you might remember Troy Terry as the hero for Team USA in last year's World Junior Championship gold medal shootout win over Team Canada. He was he was TJ Oshie-ish in the uh, in the shootout for Team USA, really clutch and. Uh, I think he's absolutely on the American team. A couple of other familiar names that have, I think, a real good chance, not locks, but I think a real good chance. Mark Arcabello attended Yale, another guy that uh, I saw for four years when my son Mike was playing at St. Lawrence. Uh, Mark Arcabello now playing in Switzerland. Uh, Ryan Stoa, um, I think he played 20-odd NHL games with a couple of different organizations. Um was a University of Minnesota guy. He's playing in Spartak in the KHL. He's having a good year and uh, looks like he's got a shot to, to make it. And as, um, as Sean Burke wants to inject some youth and some skill from the younger players, so do the Americans. We mentioned Troy Terry, of course, uh, from Denver University. Uh, two other collegiate players who I think have a real good chance to be on the American team would be Ryan Donato, son of Ted who, uh, who actually plays for his dad at Harvard, and he's a, a Boston Bruin prospect. And Jordan Greenway, uh, who played very well for Team USA in the World Junior Championships last year. Uh, he attends BU and is a Minnesota Wild prospect of some note. So um, those are some of the guys that uh, the Americans are likely to have in their lineup, and it gives you a little bit of a flavor for how Canada and the U.S. are approaching things for Pyeongchang. I'm sure you'll forgive me for not uh, being too drilled down on uh, what the European team's plans are for the uh, for Pyeongchang, um, but I think the, the same general philosophy is in place, and that is, in the case of a lot of countries, is to take former pros from the National Hockey League or European pros that have been playing there for quite some time and then mix in some, uh, some youthful skill because uh, a kid like... And Nashville prospect Eli Tolvin in their first round pick has just been tearing up the KHL this year. And I'm sure the Finns will want to include him in there. Perhaps Miro Heskin in the Dallas first rounder from last year. And then Rasmus Dahlin um, has been ripping up the, the, the Swedish Hockey League this year. Of course, we talked about him potential number one pick this year, front runner for number one this year. Can't imagine the Swedes wouldn't want to add somebody who's that dynamic, especially uh, 
in a year where there's no NHLers at the Olympics. So the um, the next question, uh, the, the next couple of questions here um, are Olympic oriented, but also junior hockey oriented. So let's uh, get to it here. The first one comes from Jamie. Bob, given the way that participation in the Winter Olympics is shaping up this year, is it possible that participants in the World Junior Championships might also be able slash eligible to play in the Olympics? Thanks from Jamie. And a similar question uh, from Carson Massey, who says, Hey, Bob, love the podcast. I was wondering, what are the chances that the St. Louis Blues prospects, Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, make the Canadian Olympic team. And as we mentioned before, put Sam Steele in that mix. And uh, those are all great questions. Now, we should point out that when the National Hockey League said, we're not going to the Olympics, they basically said, anybody on an NHL contract, even if he's playing in the American Hockey League, cannot go to the Pyeongchang Olympics. However, they did differentiate and say that if an, a player on an NHL contract, i.e. Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, Sam Steele, if they've been sent back, assigned back to junior hockey, and therefore unavailable to play in the National Hockey League this season, then those players are technically eligible to play on, um, on, on an Olympic team if asked. So let's have a look at this, uh, this entire issue. Okay, Thomas Kairou and Steele, I can pretty much guarantee you, are going to be on Canada's World Junior Championship team. Uh, for sure, for sure, for sure, in my mind. They'd have to really play their way out of the equation. So they're going to miss almost three weeks from their junior team here at Christmas and into the new year. And, and that's a lot of time, but junior teams do it because that's part of the program. Um, the CHL teams and in their relationship with Hockey Canada um, and USA Hockey, and for all the countries, for that matter, uh, for the World Juniors, they're they're happy to do it. Now, if you lose, if the London Knights lose Robert Thomas for three weeks, and the Sarnia Sting lose Jordan Cairo for three weeks, and the Regina Pats lose Sam Steele for three weeks during this whole World Junior experience, and then they suddenly get added to the Canadian Olympic team, now they're going to be missing almost another three weeks in February. Um, to to go and play for Canada again. That's an awful lot of wear and tear. That's an awful lot of fatigue. That's an awful lot of burnout. And when you think about a guy like Sam Steele, he's already guaranteed he's going to be in the Memorial Cup this year. He's playing hockey until late May because the Regina Pats, of course, are hosting the 100th anniversary Memorial edition of the Memorial Cup. So th- those are crazy schedules. And we got to remember these kids are teenagers. They are not bulletproof. But... And here's the big but. As of this particular moment, any player that plays hockey in the CHL, it doesn't matter if you're Canadian, American, Czech, Slovak, Russian, Swede, Finn, whatever country you happen to be from, if your federation asks you to go and participate and you want to play for them, your team and your league is obliged to let you go. Um you know, the, 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 the CHL um, owners, I understand their frustration and I understand their exposure on this. It's, it's a tough way to do business. Um, but the, the IOC, uh, sorry, the IIHF has sanctioned this IOC event and the Olympics. And if you are a member in good standing 
of the double IHF and hockey Canada most certainly is as is USA hockey and all the other countries, federations, then the various leagues that fall under the umbrella of those federations. So in hockey Canada's case, that would be the Canadian hockey league, the Western hockey league, the OHL, the QMJHL. Um, you're basically obliged to be part of the program. And, and that goes even for players that aren't Canadian. Give you a, a case in point. Um, Adam Ruzichka is a Calgary Flame prospect who plays for the Sarnia Sting. And um, I would expect he's going to be on the Slovakian World Junior Team. Um, and, and Sarnia is fine with that. They, they fully expect to let him go for that. But it's also not out of the question. It's, it's within the realm of possibility that the Slovaks may say, we want Adam Ruzichka on our Olympic team as well. My understanding of it is Sarnia can no more say no to releasing Adam Ruzichka to uh, uh, the Slovak Olympic team than they could say no to um, Hockey Canada and Sean Burke if they want Jordan Cairo. Any more than the Continental Hockey League, the KHL, could say that they're not going to release um, Wojtek Volsky if Team Canada wants him. This is part of the deal of being part of the IIHF and in a sanctioned IIHF event for the IOC. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some negotiations going on behind the scene. The owners are apoplectic in the CHL that they could be losing some prime players for both the World Juniors. And so there and the, the various commissioners and executives, Dave Branch, uh, Ron Robinson, Gilles Courteau, along with an ownership group from the, uh, the, the three leagues in the, that, that uh, constitute the CHL, are meeting with Tom Rennie and the Hockey Canada guys to try to find a solution to this. And I think next week is the crucial moment for that, um, on the week that the players do get invited to the World Juniors. Um, and we'll maybe get some more information on that as it goes. But this is uh, very much a, uh, a work in progress, and uh, we're going to have to see how it all uh, how it all shakes out and uh, we'll try and get some resolution one way or the other i don't know that there is an easy answer on this one but uh, as i said we'll see in the coming week all right then let's move on from uh, olympic flavored talk to uh, hardcore world junior championship talk especially as it relates to uh, canada and the u.s this question comes from michaela in niagara ontario Hey, Bob, I heard many people saying this year's World Junior Team for Canada may be the weakest in recent years. Do you agree with this? Who will be the big players for Canada this year? I assume Carter Hart, who has been playing well for Everett in the WHL, will be in goal. Do you think Canada will contend for a medal? So, Michaela in Niagara, thanks very much for the question. Um, Canada always should contend for a medal, and I don't think this year will be any exception. But I don't think there's any question that we can safely say this Canadian team will not be nearly as strong as it normally would be. And unfortunately for Hockey Canada and fans of the World Junior program, uh, they're going to be missing some real prime talent because it's playing in the National Hockey League. Now, they're not the only country that this happens to. Um, but this year in particular seems like a year where the absences are really going to hurt. Um, because there, there, there are quite a few of them. And uh, let's, let's go through the list here. Um, up front, 
Uh, Tyson Jost, if he were available for Canada, and he's not right now, and I wouldn't expect that he would be necessarily from the Colorado Avalanche, I think he probably as a returning player who was on last year's team could have been penciled in perhaps as the captain of Team Canada. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, right now he's on the number one line of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, the bet that Columbus made when they took Pierre-Luc Dubois ahead of Jesse Pugliarvi in the draft a couple of years ago, in the very short term, on this day anyways, looks like it's paid off because Dubois is playing lights out right now. Uh, has earned the trust of John Tortorella, which is not easy. And he's centering what's ostensibly their number one line with Artemi Panarin on one wing and Josh Anderson on the other wing. And so uh, it's a non-starter for Columbus to even contemplate giving up Pierre-Luc Dubois at this time to play for Canada's national junior team. Nolan Patrick with the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, Patrick's an NHLer now. Um, I don't think uh, there's any shot whatsoever that the Philadelphia Flyers, who've lost nine in a row, are going to give up one of their top nine forwards for a junior hockey tournament. It just ain't going to happen. Um, here's an interesting one because he's technically not in the NHL anymore, and that would be uh, Gabe Velarde. The LA Kings recently sent Velarde back to the Windsor Spitfires of the uh, the OHL, but Velarde um, hasn't played any hockey this season, not in a game, anyways. Um, he had a back problem. I believe it's a back problem. Might also be hip related, but I think he had an off-season procedure done, and uh, he's been rehabbing that all season, and he's been skating hard and practicing hard with the LA Kings, and then now more recently with the Windsor Spitfires. And if I'm not mistaken, he's going to the doctor early next week. Um, that would be on Monday, December 4th, Tuesday, December 5th, thereabouts, to see if he's cleared for contact. And if he is cleared for contact, then um, he might be a consideration for Team Canada. We'll play that one by ear based on the medical reports uh, next week. But uh, those are the forwards that uh, there's, well, Joe Dubois and Patrick. I mean, if those three guys were available, there's potentially your top three centers on Team Canada for the World Junior Championship. Not going to happen. On defense, the, the players that are missing, uh, as of right now anyways, Sam Girard. Uh, that trade, by the way, from going from Nashville to Colorado as part of the, the, the Duchesne Tourist three-way trade. Uh, there was a chance that Sam Girard might have been returned to junior hockey by the Nashville Predators um, prior to that trade. And then when they traded him to Colorado, uh, he's become a mainstay on the Colorado Blue Line, regularly playing 20, 21, 22, 23 minutes a night for the Avalanche. So I don't anticipate he's going anywhere. Uh, Jacob Chikrin is a non-starter. Uh, he's rehabbing, uh, coming off knee surgery, I believe, and um, was sent on a conditioning stint to Tucson of the American Hockey League this past week and could be in the uh, Arizona Coyote lineup much sooner rather than later uh, once he's cleared for contact and ready to go. But in any case, Arizona has no uh, intent whatsoever of loaning Jacob Chikrin to Team Canada. He's a full-time NHLer in their mind and, uh, if healthy, one of their top four defensemen. Victor Mete of the Montreal Canadiens uh, played a great game last night against the Detroit Red Wings. Game before that, he only played six minutes against the Columbus Blue Jackets, and with the return of David Schlemko, the fact that Shea Weber's not in the lineup or hasn't been in the lineup recently and will be coming back soon, um, he Victor Mete might be the, the best candidate 
to perhaps be loaned to Team Canada for the World Junior Championship. By no means guaranteed, um, but I don't think the Montreal Canadiens have slammed the door shut on that. They're getting hot at the right time. Carey Price is back playing well. Uh, I don't want to say they've got a surplus of defense, but when Weber comes back, they potentially could have that surplus. And if they feel like they can let Mete go, uh, whether it's on December 11th to go and attend the camp in St. Catharines, or whether it's on December 19th, which is the roster freeze, uh, NHL roster freeze prior to um, uh, the Christmas break for uh, for NHL transactions. That, by the way, December 19th is the last day an NHL team can assign a player to uh, to the any national junior program for any of the countries. So imagine if Canada did have Jost, Dubois, Patrick, Healthy Velarde, Sam Girard, Victor Mete, Jacob Chikrin. That would be a rather uh, formidable group. But it's quite possible they get none of them. And if they get none of them, well, then it's going to get interesting. And uh, they might get one, and they might even get two if uh, Velarde's healthy. So let's have a look at Team Canada, what it might look like here. As I said, they're making the announcement of the players. It's going to be 30-odd players that get invited. could be 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, somewhere in that range. My guess is it's going to be three or four goaltenders, uh, 10 defensemen, give or take one, 18 forwards, give or take one. So somewhere between 28 and 32 players will be announced as invited to the World Junior Camp. And that announcement comes on Wednesday, uh, December the 6th. And uh, I can make some projections here on what I think will happen. Um, I, we've got some returning forwards who, in my mind, are totally locked in. Uh, Dylan Dubé, the uh, the Calgary Flame prospect who plays for uh, Calgary in the Western League. Uh, Michael McLeod, uh, recently returned from the New Jersey Devils to the Mississauga Steelheads. Uh, coming off uh, a knee injury and a little knee rehab, but he's back playing and he's locked in as one of the centers on Team Canada. And Taylor Radish from the Erie Otters, uh, Tampa Bay prospect who played on last year's team. There's three returning forwards that you can absolutely lock in. Now, um, I'll give you my usual disclaimer on somebody's locked in. It's my opinion. If they play their way off the team, so be it. Um, And as I talk about some of these other players, understand this is my opinion and that what happens in the coming camp influences everything. But uh, so with that usual disclaimer out of the way, I'm certainly penciling Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, and Sam Steele in. So that would give me six forwards of the 13 that Canada will want to name. Um, We could increase that. I think guys that have a a real good shot, I'm I'm almost positive these guys would be invited to, to the camp but they still have to earn their way onto the team, but I, I like their odds, would be Jonah Gadjevich, the Vancouver pick, who plays for Owen Sound. Uh, got some size and scoring ability, not the fastest skater in the world, but uh, uh, this uh, World Junior is going to be played on uh, North american size ice at the Key Bank Center in Buffalo. Boris Kachuk, the Tampa Bay prospect, who's playing very well for a very good Sault Ste. Marie Greyhound team this year. I think is uh, is guaranteed to be invited um, and has a chance, a real strong chance to be on this team. And Alex Formanton, the London Knight prospect who started the season with the Ottawa Senators, uh, but was sent back to London. Uh, tremendous speed, tremendous penalty killing ability. I would have to think those three guys are locks to be invited to the camp and stand a pretty good chance 
of uh, perhaps being on the team. And if that were the case, Dubé McLeod Radish, Kairou Thomas Steele, Gadjevich, Kachuk, and Formanton, well, you're looking at nine of your 13 forwards. The next three guys I'm going to talk about are really interesting because I think they also fall into the category of I can't imagine they don't get invited. Um, so I think they will be at the camp. And then after that, it'll be fascinating. But they, they're, they're having great years. And, I mean, I could easily pencil guys like this into that next group that round almost rounds out the, the forward group. But nevertheless, here are the three that I'm talking about. First one is uh, Tyler Steenbergen, the Arizona pick who plays for the Swift Turn Broncos, just shredding the Western Hockey League. 32 goals in 25 games, 56 points, 25 games. It's absolutely incredible. All he does is create offense and, and make things happen offensively. So it'll be uh, fascinating to see him on this next level up stage to see if he can duplicate those numbers. And, and, and that'll be the challenge for Steenbergen. And it's always a challenge for a lot of guys that are prolific at the junior level. When they get to that next level at the camp and then you play the games against the older guys from Canadian University, you play the Denmark team. If you stick around long enough and you play the pre-tournament games before they name the roster on, on, on Christmas Day, getting up that extra level, that's where you find out whether the, the change in gears, Steenbergen can be as productive at the next level. It'd be fascinating. I'm always fascinated to, to see how that works, but he's a dynamic, skilled, and, and fun player to watch. Um, also in that same sort of category would be uh, Vegas Golden Knight first-rounder Nick Suzuki of the uh, of the Owen Sound attack. Uh, he's got 17 goals, I think, this season, 42 points in 24 games played. Uh, just a really smart hockey player. Plays on a line with Jonah Gadjevich in uh, in Owen Sound. And uh, now it's interesting because he's he's younger. He's a year younger than Steenberg. And this is Steenbergen's last year uh, eligible for the uh, the World Juniors. He turns uh, 20 in January. So this is it for him. It's make it or break it. But Suzuki could be back next year on the World Junior team if he's not in the NHL with the Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, the third of the trio of guys that I find to be really interesting is Drake Batherson um, from the uh, Cape Breton Screaming Eagles in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. A good maritime kid, Drake Batherson is, and a prospect of the Ottawa Senators. Now, this one's the most fascinating guy to talk about of all um, because he was not on the radar for Hockey Canada at all, at all, at all in the, uh, in the summer. He wasn't invited to their summer camp wasn't even a consideration. Um, but he's had just an amazing year in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. 17 goals in 22 games, 37 points. He played in uh, the game against the Russians as part of that uh, CIBC uh, Canada-Russia series that was going on. And the NHL scouts were wowed by what they saw from him in that game. But the bad news is he broke a finger in that game. He's currently on the sidelines as uh, as an injured player. And what I found interesting is that uh, uh, the Ottawa Senators, while he's rehabbing his finger and not able to play for Cape Breton, have actually brought him into Belleville to skate and practice with their American Hockey League franchise while he rehabs the broken finger. And um, it, it's actually a pretty good strategy. It, it gets him to... to uh, 
to practice and and get a lot more ice time than he otherwise might. You know, you know the story when you're an injured player with a junior hockey team. They're playing games. They got game day skates. There's travel, road trips involved. It becomes difficult for an injured player to get as much ice and stay as focused on the task at hand when you're an injured player as part of a junior hockey team and riding around on those buses. So he's he's based in Belleville right now, as I understand it, and um, getting some real good practice time in, albeit. Uh, with a hand that uh, he can't shoot with. Um, but nevertheless, keep his conditioning up, uh, push his tempo and pace. And those are the things that he needs to work on. The The book on, on uh, Batherson is interesting. He's, he's said to have elite hockey sense, some elite level skill, um, maybe a little bit of a Mark Stone type situation for the Senators in that th- this guy, Batherson, was undrafted as an 18-year-old. He went through his entire first draft eligible year in the National Hockey League without anybody taking a flyer on him. Um, but he came back last season and uh, put up some real good numbers and um, and attracted the interest of the National Hockey League and, and the Sens drafted him in whatever round it was. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. I think it's the fourth round. But don't, uh, don't quote me on that. Anyways, something of a late bloomer and... Um, He's uh, he's definitely consideration for Team Canada, and uh, if the finger heals, and it should be healed, the the prognosis is that he's going to be back playing right around the same time that uh, Team Canada has these games against U Sports and the uh, uh, the Danish team. So um, can't imagine he's not invited to the camp. Interesting too, worth noting. Not that it matters here because I I think Batherson is. Uh, is fully planning on uh, being with Team Canada, but he does have dual citizenship. He was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and that's because his dad, Norm Batherson, uh, who was a journeyman uh, minor pro player who also had a considerable career in Europe, um, he played a year for the Fort Wayne uh, Comets in 87-88, and that was the year that uh, that Drake was born. And But Drake played his minor hockey in the Maritimes. He's a, uh, I don't want to call him a born and bred Maritimer because, as I said, he was born in Fort Wayne. But uh, he's a Maritimer. He's a Canadian. And uh, all things being equal, uh, if his finger heals and he plays as well as some people think, he's uh, he's certainly a consideration for Team Canada. But uh, there's a lot of guys here in the running, and it's going to be interesting to see who makes the cut uh, to get the invites to be able to compete. You know, look at this list of players here. Cole Lynn, the Vancouver prospect. He had a bit of an illness. They were worried it might be mononucleosis, but I think he's uh, he's got a relatively clean bill of health. Uh, Jonathan Ang, the Florida prospect who plays for the Peterborough Peets. Brett Howden, um, the Tampa Bay prospect who plays in the Western Hockey League. Cody Glass, another Vegas Golden Knight first rounder who plays for the Portland Winterhawks. St. Louis prospect uh, Tanner Kaspek who uh, plays in the Western League Maxine Comtois the uh, the Anaheim prospect who plays in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League what about Owen Tippett there's an interesting one I watched Owen Tippett in one of those uh, games against Russia the, the game in Sudbury he had a terrible game I thought um, and some people would think, well, Owen Tippett should be an automatic first round pick of the Florida Panthers just recently returned from the uh, from the National Hockey League team to the Mississauga Steelheads, and he's a tremendous shooter, kind of a one-trick pony, uh, up and down straight-line winger who shoots and scores. Um, but boy, he had a lot of giveaways and didn't look great in that game in the Subway Series, as I used to call it, a CIBC Series now. But in any case, I'll be interested to see where Tippett fits in 
in the the big picture. Uh, Tyler Benson's had a lot of injuries. I, I'm not sure if he's got a lot of momentum going into this. Uh, Matthew Phillips is a, a good Western Hockey League player who's um, put up some numbers that'll be in the in the mix uh, for an invitation to the camp. Adam Mascaren from the Kitchener Rangers, a real big shooter um, for the Rangers, uh, will be in the mix for an invitation. Uh, Bill Will Bitten, speedster, sort of uh, plays a lot like Formington in terms of disruptive with his speed uh, from the Hamilton Steelhawks. Uh, sorry, Hamilton Steelhawks, there you go. <laughs> Hamilton Bulldogs. Steelhawks was about 100 years ago. Um, but Montreal Canadian prospect. Um, Michael Rasmussen, uh, Detroit Red Wing first rounder. Uh, Cliff Poo, uh, Buffalo Sabre prospect from London Knights. These are all guys that uh, that are in the running uh, for invitations. But as I say, I won't go on and on and on about a lot of these guys because by Wednesday, December 6th, we'll know exactly who's at the camp and there's no sense. And that's just the forwards. Now now we get to the D. Um, on D, the picture's a little clearer because we've got three returning players. Uh, Kale Clegg, the L.A. Uh, prospect who plays for the Brandon Wheat Kings. Jake Bean, the Carolina Hurricane first-rounder who plays for the Calgary Hitmen, and Dante Fabro, the Nashville Predator first-rounder who plays for Boston University. Those three guys um, would have to play their way off the team. They're there in my mind. Kale McCarr, the Colorado first-rounder uh, who played for Brooks in the Alberta Junior League last year, now at Uma, Uma, UMass Amherst. Easy for me to say. Um, I think Kale McCarr has got a dynamic element that will uh, will likely to put him on this hockey team. So there's four defensemen. Uh, the, the next defenseman that's impressed me the most of the guys that are in the, the uh, a rather large pool of talent that'll be competing for spots is Connor Timmons from the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Um, I noticed he scored a couple of goals the other night uh, uh, for what it's worth, but he was very good. I thought against the Russians in that game in Sudbury that I saw. And um, uh, I, I got to believe he's guaranteed an invite to the camp. Um, and I think he's got a real good chance if he has a real good champ to uh, to be on this team. After that, I think it's it's wide open. Uh, Cal Foots played some outstanding hockey, the Tampa Bay first rounder. He's played he's been a star in a lot of the games for the Kelowna Rockets lately. Uh, Logan Stanley from the uh, the Kitchener Rangers, Winnipeg Jet first rounder, huge towering presence. Um, he and uh, he and Foot provide a dimension that's not real prevalent um, amongst a lot of the players. This is a, a smaller defense for the most part, a puck-moving defense for the most part. So I wouldn't imagine both Foot and Stanley would be able to make this team, but one of them might. Matthew Ferraro, um, sort of a, a late name to the field, uh, is a consideration. He plays with Makara at UMass uh, Amherst, I believe, and again, in that mold of the, the smaller puck-moving two-way defenseman. Dennis Chalowski, the Detroit Red Wing prospect from the Western Hockey League. Uh, Josh Mahura uh, from the uh, the Regina Pats. Pierre-Olivier Joseph, David Quenville, Nick Haig, um, Sean Dersey. These are some of the guys that were getting consideration and looks in these games against the Russians, and we'll see where they uh, they go with it. But as I said, Clegg, Bean, Fabro, Makar, Timmins. For me, that's your potential top five. I could see foot on a real good trajectory right now and then lots of competition after that. But as I said, uh, 
that's all just me blue skying it at this point. Uh, as far as the goaltenders go, uh, one returnee, and uh, Michaela from Niagara mentioned that in the original question, Carter Hart uh, of uh, Philadelphia Flyer prospect from Everett. Uh, I think you got to pencil him in to uh, one of the spots. I'd be shocked if Michael DiPietro from the Windsor Spitfires, the Vancouver Canuck prospect, isn't one of the three or four goalies that uh, is invited to the camp. Unlike other years, I can see Hockey Canada inviting more than two goaltenders to this final camp. I don't think they're anointing the goaltenders this year as they have in the past couple of years. Um, in the mix, I think Samuel Harvey from the uh, from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is a guy that uh, could easily be in the mix for an invite. Um, somebody who's a little late to the party but has created some waves this season is a kid by the name of Colton Point, who's a 19-year-old from North Bay, Ontario, who attends Colgate University. And uh, he's put up some incredible numbers in the ECAC for Colgate. And I know Hockey Canada was down to scout him on a couple of occasions. So it'll be fascinating to see how things shake out with Harvey in the Quebec League point in the uh, U.S. college ranks, as well as Dylan Wells, um, uh, the uh, the Edmonton prospect, who, uh, of course, is playing for the Peterborough Peets, and Stuart Skinner, another Edmonton prospect who's playing for Lethbridge in the Western Hockey League. So some goaltending decisions to make there for the Team Canada, which, of course, will be coached this year by Dom Ducharme, um, who uh, was the coach last year when they lost in the shootout of the gold medal game to Team USA. I haven't really had a chance yet to look at the European teams for the World Juniors and what they might look like. I've got to imagine the Swedes are loaded, just anecdotally thinking here. Rasmus Dahlin on defense, Elias Pettersson, the Vancouver first-rounder up front, uh, tremendous skill there. Uh, Elias Anderson, New York Ranger first-rounder. Uh, if the Russians put Andrei Svechnikov in their lineup, that would be uh, fascinating to see. As I mentioned earlier, the Finns, uh, uh, Tolvanen, assuming he's going to be in the mix, has been just lights out in the KHL. Um, Heskinen on defense is, uh, Finns always have great defensemen, so you got to figure the Finns are going to be really good. I can talk a little bit about uh, Team USA. I've done a little bit of research on them. The defending champions, head coach Bob Motzko, um, back uh, uh, to be behind the bench. Uh, of course, he, he coaches at uh, St. Cloud. And um, the, any, the, the Americans are going to be good this year. Um, they're a formidable team. They have what I would say limited NHL damage. Now, I'm sure they'd love to add Clayton Keller, uh, who's been lighting it up for Arizona in the National Hockey League and was the front runner for the Rookie of the Year until Brock Besser has kind of uh, eclipsed him a little bit here for what he's done with the Vancouver Canucks over the last uh, month. Um, but the uh, the Americans will still be a formidable team even without Clayton Keller. Of course, Besser's too old at this point, and uh, he wouldn't be coming anyways, even if he was of age. Uh, I can tell you that there's a projected top line for the Americans, and that would be Casey Middlestadt, the uh, Buffalo Sabre first-rounder, who plays at the um, University of Minnesota. Um, He's likely pencil him in as your starting left winger, even though he plays center at the U. Um, I could see him being on the left side with uh, Logan Brown, the big towering Ottawa Senator first-rounder who's playing so well for the Windsor Spitfires right now. See him as the number one center on the team. 
And on the right side, uh, put in Kyler Yamamoto, who started the season with the Edmonton Oilers, their first-round pick from 2017, but was uh, returned a while ago to Spokane of the Western Hockey League. So Middlestat, Logan Brown, and Yamamoto, uh, pencil that in as your number one line. I think the um, the Americans have uh, have terrific strength down the middle. Uh, Ryan Paling, who's uh, playing well for um, Moscow at uh, St. Cloud State, um, Montreal Canadian first rounder. Um, Trent Frederick, who the uh, Boston Bruins took as a bit of a surprise first round pick a couple of years ago, but uh, has really emerged in in uh, in college hockey. Is uh, another guy that could play center for them, as is Josh Norris, um, the San Jose Shark first rounder. So whether they those guys all play center or whether some of them get moved to the wing, as so often happens with all these national junior teams. Um, Logan Brown, Paling, Frederick, Norris, that's a good starting four at center if you decide to go that way. Uh, I really like the competition and, and skill level and size um, that the Americans have on their left side behind Middlestat. Um, Brady Kachuk is a possibility. He's a potential top five pick, of course. Matthew's younger brother who attends BU. He's 2018 draft eligible, go very high this year. He's big. He's uh, hard to play against, but he's also got uh, a real good touch around the net and the ability to make things happen offensively. Kiefer Bellows is a returning player, the New York Islander first rounder, who now plays in the Western Hockey League. Um, he was... Uh, he, he really emerged as the tournament wore on last year, and i got to think that uh, he's going to be a key factor as a returning player. Max Jones, big power forward that can score goals for the London Knights. Anaheim Duck first-rounder. Um, London, uh, as I said, uh, another London Knight who uh, could easily be on this uh, U.S. World Junior team. And Riley Tufty, the Dallas Stars, towering six-foot-five first-rounder um, between Tachuk, Bellows, Max Jones, Tufty, Middlestad. That's a loaded left side that, uh, and obviously there's some flexibility there to, to move guys over to the right. You've also got a returning player in Joey Anderson on the right side. And uh, Vancouver prospect Will Lockwood, who plays at the uh, University of Michigan, um, he's got a real strong uh, shot to uh, compete for a spot on this American team. On defense, they've got two returning players, uh, Boston Bruin prospect Ryan Lindgren, Plays at the University of Minnesota. He's uh, uh, he's going to be a fixture on their blue line, as is Adam Fox, the uh, uh, the very offensive-minded power play quarterbacking defenseman who uh, plays for Harvard. And as I said, Calgary Flame prospect um, Quinn Hughes, who's draft eligible this year, potential top five pick if not top five, certainly top ten. Smaller defenseman, we've talked about him on previous podcasts. Uh, dynamic skating and puck-moving ability. Um, Andrew Peak is a big uh, Columbus uh, prospect who, uh, based on his summer camp experience with the Americans, um, has to be given a good shot of, of being in the top four or five on this American blue line. Uh, you've got uh, Mikey Anderson and Dylan Sandberg and a bunch of other guys competing for spots after that. Uh, Anderson and Sandberg I mentioned as a joint entry because they played in the USHL together at Waterloo and now they play together at the University of Minnesota Duluth. And Sandberg's a big guy, six foot three. So um, we'll see how uh, how things shake out 
for those Americans uh, on on the blue line, and that'll be a, a competitive camp as well. In net, uh, they've got a re- couple of returning goaltenders, although technically only one. Um, you know, Tyler Parsons has gone to graduation. He was the main man in net for the gold medal team last year. But uh, Joseph Wall played in a couple of games, Toronto Maple Leaf prospect from Boston College. And then you've got Jake Ottinger, uh, the Dallas first-rounder who plays at Boston University, uh, I think Wall and Ottinger are the uh, uh, the obvious guys to pencil into spots coming in. But uh, again, you've you've got to uh, allow for other things to happen. You've got uh, Keith Petrozelli um, and uh, Dylan Saint Cyr, who were at the summer camp for the uh, the Americans. Uh, let's see here. Let's double double check this. Yeah, Saint Cyr's 2018 draft eligible. Uh, Petrozelli was taken by Detroit in the uh, in the third round. So uh, we'll see where it goes with Ottinger and Wall, but I would think those would be the the two guys, and uh, see who ends up being the number one for the uh, the defending champions. Anyway, there's a bit of a rundown on both Canada and the U.S. for the World Juniors. Should be a really fun tournament, and as I said, uh, it's a very busy time of the year. The only downside to all this fun and frivolity with the World Juniors and the Olympics, and uh, trying to keep track of the NHL, is that it, uh, not to mention shopping, uh, partying, family, festivities, Christmas, all that stuff, is that December is a month when there's not really a lot of time to watch TV. And that's one of my favorite uh, favorite pastimes. So, so what I say is, screw that, because as soon as we're done here, it is time for this. That, by the way, is the theme from Vikings, if you didn't know it, which is a television show that's written by Michael Hurst, and it's on the History Channel. And uh, as I mentioned earlier in the uh, the Bobcast, the two-hour season five premiere was on Wednesday night. I PVR'd it, and I am uh, literally, the minute we finished this Bobcast, I'm into Vikings. I love Vikings. I stumbled on this show several years ago. I was just flipping around saw something hey what's this who's this cool looking dude it must have been part way through season one or two i'm not even sure uh, i eventually went back and got caught up but um, as the name implies it's about uh, vikings and uh, specifically a guy by the name of ragnar lothbrook this viking farmer who became this ultimate viking warrior now ragnar lothbrook is a really cool dude who's played by i'm not even sure how you pronounce this but it's travis fimmel i guess Someone told me he's a Cal- he was a Calvin Klein underwear model, um, but I'll tell you what, he's, he's got a 
He's a tremendous actor, fascinating look about him, captivating look, shaved head, this Viking look with tattoos and piercings and everything else. And the best way I can describe old Ragnar is that he's an ethereal psycho, if that makes any sense. Very interesting dude that thinks things on another level, but also is this raging psychotic killer when he needs to be. But I mean, if, if you can't be a raging psychotic killer as a Viking, when can you be? It's a great cast. Uh, Catherine Winnick as uh, Ragnar's wife, Lagatha, the warrior wife. Uh, Clive Standen uh, as Rolo, Ragnar's brother. Um, Here's my favorite character outside of Ragnar in the whole thing. His name's Gustav Skarsgård. That's his real name. He plays Floki. I love Floki. Floki is is a deranged, big rangy, big big man, um, genius shipbuilder, inventor, but uh, a heart as black as coal, uh, murderous scoundrel who's a little crazy, um, and quirky and unusual. And uh, this Gustav Skarsgård plays this role to the hilt. And uh, anytime he's on uh, on the screen, it's pure joy to watch. And uh, there's Alexander Ludwig who plays Bjorn, Ragnar's son, Bjorn Ironsides. Alyssa Sutherland who plays Ragnar's mistress who becomes his second wife, the Princess Alslog. Al- Alslog? Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. Anyways, uh, Gabriel Byrne was even in it uh, at the start. Um, he was a king who uh, quickly disappeared. But it's it's great writing. It's great acting. It's great storytelling. The battle scenes are absolutely awesome. It's got, it's just got a tremendous feel about it. And pacing and music and, and that sound soundtrack, that uh, theme song that I played for you. It's, it's really haunting. And uh, it, uh, it really sort of touches me on a, a lot of emotional levels. And uh, I just can't wait to sit down uh, to watch it. I really do love everything about the whole Viking culture, the warrior culture, the whole Valhalla thing, uh, Odin, human sacrifice. But uh, it's funny because those who know me know that I have a real affinity for the warrior culture of things like the Navy Seals and I read books and watch shows on that. And and, and I guess essentially the uh, the Vikings were the uh, the original Navy SEALs, if you will. And, uh, and it, this is also interesting to me because Vikings is, is co-produced by an Irish company and a Canadian company. And in fact, some of the scenes in, in Vikings were actually filmed near Sault Ste. Marie, but most of them, I believe, are filmed in Ireland. And I was at a charity gala uh, a number of years ago, and I ran into a guy by the name of John Weber, who is with Take Five Productions, which is the uh, the company that uh, co-produces um, Vikings, and uh, he had, I guess, heard that you know, I tweeted how much I love Vikings, and he, uh, he uh, sought me out at this charity gala and said, "Hey, thanks for the tweet on Vikings. I'm, I'm one of the producers of the show," and got to talk to John a little bit about the whole thing, and uh, it's just so cool. And he actually invited me to go. Uh, if I'm ever in the neighborhood in Ireland uh, to go see Vikings being shot, which I really got to do because I, I, I noticed here that the season five is just beginning, but it's obviously being shot already. Um, this is season five. There's 20 episodes. And as I say, the first one was on uh, this past Wednesday. But I see they've also been contracted 
by the History Channel to do a sixth season of Vikings with 20 episodes. So maybe they haven't shot those yet, and if they haven't, maybe next summer I gotta go to Ireland and see that being shot. You'll also know if you're uh, familiar with uh, your Major League Baseball Toronto Blue Jay uh, Vikings trivia, Josh Donaldson of the Blue Jays was actually in an episode of Vikings, and and that fits. I mean, uh, Donaldson's got the the Ragnar Lothbrok going to a T, and uh, I I guess I'd like to also be in Vikings, but um, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't look much like a Viking. I suppose they could always cast me as sort of one of those uh, um, pasty-faced, doughy Saxons working in the field who... uh, who get the shit scared out of them when they see the Vikings roll up, and rightfully so. Imagine how terrifying that would be back in those days when when the Viking ship comes up and uh, Ragnar and Floki with their axe and their hatchets and their swords and their spears come at you. No thank you. Um, I guess I could also be an overweight monk, um, but I think they've finished slaughtering the overweight monks in... Uh, in East Anglia or wherever they're doing that. But uh, anyways, bottom line, if you haven't seen Vikings, I highly recommend you uh, you give it a shot. So now that I'm under the Tommy TV recommendations here, let's keep it going here. Now I watch a lot. I watch a lot of hockey, um, and I don't know how, but I still manage to find time to watch a, a lot of other shows that aren't hockey. And, and that's why Netflix is the greatest gift to the world ever, um, because it allows you to watch shows when you want to watch them. So if you're on a flight for four hours to Vancouver, uh, you can load up the shows and away you go. And if you're on the road and you're tucked in for the night in bed and you ah, you know what, I think I'll watch a show before I go to sleep, away you go. So Netflix is uh, is awesome. I don't know if a millennial invented Netflix, but thank you to the millennials for the Netflix culture that we have. I do love historical shows like Vikings, and there's another good one, and it's actually Vikings. It's called The Lost Kingdom. It's on Netflix. It's really good, too, and there's a lot of crossover there because there's the, the same character names are being used, but it's a completely different feel and and the way they go about it so um but if you're into the the whole viking thing uh lost kingdom on netflix is also very good on regular tv i really like outlander um that's uh that combines my love of time travel with the uh, whole scottish english conflict and uh, clan mackenzie um and it's a really well done show um but uh uh as I say, it, and, it, and it also, not that this is a reason to tune in, but uh, some of the most uh, uh, detailed, erotic, and artfully done sex scenes you will ever see are in Outlander. Um, but there's some great acting in that as well. Um, so I, I highly recommend Outlander. It's a little slow moving for some, um, but uh, hey, I don't mind that. I'm a huge fan. I declare up front, huge fan of British TV shows, um, both the historical variety and current stuff. Um, notably, I just love the uh, the British police uh, murder mystery shows, um, and there are so many of them. Um, um, part of the British historical stuff, Peaky Blinders, I've recommended that before. I won't go into too much detail on the Bobcast. Love the Peaky Blinders in Birmingham. It's dark, it's gritty, it's awesome. And I just finished uh, watching season three on Netflix 
of uh, Peaky Blinders. So I love Michael. Uh, it doesn't have to be violent for me. Um, I can uh, I can get down with some uh, artfully done British television. Uh, the Crown, which is the story of the young Queen Elizabeth. Very, very well done. A Downton Abbey, don't judge me. Please don't judge me. The characters are great. The story's great. The acting's outstanding. The writing's terrific. But at the end of the day, what I really get into are the police or the copper shows um, and uh, on Netflix. And I, I can't believe how many of them are. I can't believe how many of them that I've actually watched from start to finish. Because some of them are three, four, five seasons long, and I've, I've now seen them all. So I'm going to quickly rattle off some names here and get your pen and paper handy. And if you like British copper shows, um, get into these. Broadchurch, excellent. Paranoid, very good. Hinterland, this is a good one, where uh, some copper leaves uh, England, I assume, and ends up going to the hinterland of Wales. Um, but that, that, that one's really well done. Marcella is very good. Uh, Happy Valley is, uh, is, is, is a rollicking good copper show with a very strong female lead. Uh, Luther, outstanding. Idris Elba. If you don't know who Idris Elba is, if you've ever seen The Wire, Stringer Bell. Uh, it was a great shock to my system to find out that Stringer Bell uh, is actually as English as English can be. Um, and speaking of The Wire, um, as was uh, Jimmy McNulty, uh, played by Dominic West. It's a shock to the system when you find out these guys from Baltimore. The P Baltimore Police Department were all actually English. Go figure. Uh, another great series, multiple uh, multiple seasons of it, Line of Duty. Really like that one a lot. And uh, I'm always a sap for when you get a guy in an English uh, show who's got a Northern Irish accent and uh, talks about getting the bent coppers out of there. And uh, if you've seen it, you know what I mean. Uh, River's an interesting one um, where uh, one of those, another Skarsgård, um, actor is the the lead in that one and and he's got like sort of uh, uh somewhat psycho supernatural ability to uh to talk to the dead or see the dead or whatever and i don't like supernatural and science fiction stuff but this one's just enough of a titch of it that uh that i liked it um uh the fall is very very good that's jillian anderson from uh from the X-Files, of course, and I should warn though, season one, really, really good. Season two really slows down and season two lost a lot of people on the fall, but uh, I still liked it. Um, so anyways, um, you can just call me Bobby Rotten Tomatoes from here on in because uh, I can give you a 100% ranking on this next series and it's called Ripper Street and it's set in the late 1800s, six months after Jack the Ripper's Last victim was found, and it's about uh, the coppers in H Division in Whitechapel, the Whitechapel District of London. And the lead character is a guy by the name of this Detective Inspector Edmund Reed, and he's played by Matthew McFadden. And this guy, what a fantastic actor this guy is, and what a fantastic series this is. Um, the Spectre, Inspector Reed's uh, right-hand man is a guy by the name of Bennett Drake. You may know him as Jerome Flynn, and if you don't recognize the name, you will recognize the face because he's in Game of Thrones. I think his character in Game of Thrones is Braun, but he's sort of the smooshed-in-face guy who's the sword-for-hire, wiseacre, smart-ass uh, scoundrel 
who first hangs out with Tyrion Lannister and then hangs out with Jaime Lannister. Um, but uh, he's he's a great actor as well. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Adam Rothenberg who plays the American Captain Homer Jackson, uh, and he's sort of uh, uh, another uh, an American doctor and scoundrel who uh, is sort of the foil to uh, to uh, Bennett Drake and Edmund Reed. So uh, I think I think the writing, the the dialogue, the acting, it's all superb. I find this so captivating on so many levels. It's tense. It's funny. It's interesting. It's smart. It's predictable. And by all means, if you've not seen Ripper Street, uh, jump right in. Uh, so much other good stuff on Netflix. Uh, Narcos, uh, if you haven't seen that, it's not British by any stretch. And in fact, here's the thing, the reason I mentioned Narcos. Um, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about watching a show that's mostly not in English with subtitles. And what I discovered is not only was I fine with it, I really liked it. So I've, I've discovered that if you can get a really good show, foreign language show with subtitles, if the acting is good and the story's good, um, bring it on. And uh, if 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 you agree with that, I've got two recommendations for you here. One of them is Trapped. It's Icelandic, and it is dark and brooding, but it's a murder mystery in rural Iceland from a town that gets shut off um, by an avalanche, and uh, it, I really enjoyed that. But my best foreign language series, bar none, is one called Border Town, and it's from Finnish television. And I talked to my good friend Juha Hitala, who was uh, with Ilato Sanamat, uh, the Finnish newspaper. He was based in Vancouver for quite some time, but now he's he's back in Finland, and he told me that it's a huge hit in Finland. But I don't think it's called Border Town in Finland. It's called Sorianen, in in name for the name of the lead character Kari Sorianen, and um, this uh, this show follows the same theme as most of these cop shows that I've talked about, and that is the lead copper is always some guy who's messed up in some way, and he's usually moved from one place to another place to get away from all his demons, but goes to the new place and immediately has to solve all sorts of crimes that involve all his demons. Anyways, uh, I'm told that Vili Vertinen plays Kari Sorianen, and as I say, he's this messed up savant uh, who, uh, who who's got like a some weird psychological, emotional disorder that might put him on the autism spectrum, but makes him really spectacular at, at solving crimes. And uh, I just really, really like, there's only one season of it, 11 episodes. And uh, I just think it's brilliant. And for me, the subtitles are not at all a problem. Okay, some recommendations a little closer to home. Uh, keep it in the American vein. Uh, Bloodline's very good. Kyle Chandler from Friday Night Lights, Sissy Spacek. Um, that's a, a terrific uh, set in the Florida Keys. That's a, a really good uh, murder mystery. And uh, oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we do deceive. That's pretty much the motto for that show. Um, a few weeks ago, I watched Ozark. I'm actually ashamed to admit it, but Ozark is a fantastic series. Jason Bateman, Laura, Laura Linney, they're terrific in this. But I, I will admit that I got up on a Saturday morning and I'd had a really busy week and I was really sort of out of sorts and I wanted to kind of shut out the entire world. 
So I hate to admit this, but my wife and I sat down mid-morning on a Saturday and we crushed all 10 episodes of Ozark back to back to back to back to back on and on and on it went. I was late to Hockey Night in Canada that night because I was watching all of Ozark. I mean, I looked at my, I, I, I managed to put in 800 steps that day on my Fitbit. That, that's pathetic. And and the only reason I got the 800 steps in is because I may or may not have taken a break from Ozark to go to the convenience store to get a very small tub of Ben and Jerry's caramel hat trick ice cream and maybe a bag of Lay's barbecue chips. Could be, could be or not. I'm, I'm not confirming that, but what a loser. Anyways, uh, Ozark is fantastic, as is Mindhunter. Uh, which I recently watched, which is kind of the the birth of the profiling of serial killers by the FBI, but it's done in a really quirky and fascinating sort of way. I'm in the midst of finishing up the last season of Game of Thrones or the most recent season of Game of Thrones. So there you go. Bobby Rotten Tomatoes gives you the full rundown on watching way, way, way too many shows. Okay, final element of today's Bobcast, nothing to do with hockey or TV, a little fun, little interactive musical exercise. Answer me this question, if you will. What song, if it were to come on while you were in the car, would keep you in the car if you had every intention on getting out of the car until you heard that song come on? This happened to me the other day. I was uh, pulling into the gas station, ready to jump out and uh, pump some gas into my car. And a song came on the radio. And the minute I heard this song come on the radio, I didn't want to get out of the car and pump the gas. So I pulled over at the gas station to a parking spot, sat down, and just listened to the song because I loved it so much. So you're pulling into your driveway. You're about to get out of the car. And all of a sudden, a song comes on. What song is it that would come on that would make you sit there or go drive around the block until that song is over. Now, the only rules or proviso of this, it can't be a song that you listen to all the time. It can't be a song that you would consider your absolute favorite song of all time. Some song that you maybe don't hear that often, but as soon as you hear it, say, oh, wow, man, I really love this song, and I got to listen to it right now. So think about it. Email me your response and a brief expl- a very brief explanation of why this song means so much to you. And uh, on a future Bobcast, maybe I'll, uh, I'll read some of these back and we'll have some fun with it. But it's uh, bobcast at bellmedia.ca um, for that uh, uh, emailing me your experience. And the song that did it for me when I pulled into that gas station was none other than Jamie Johnson with In Color. I love this song. I love the story it tells. I love the way it just grabs my heart and it doesn't let go. I also love the fact that Jamie Johnson some good outlaw country and and by the way kid rock did a nice cover version of this but the jamie johnson version is the one that i absolutely love in any case i wanted to share it with you here you go i'll let jamie johnson take us out enjoy I said, Grandpa, what's this picture here? It's all black and white. It ain't real clear, is that you there? He said, yeah, I was a lover. 
Times were tough back in 35 That's me and Uncle Joe just trying to survive a cotton farm In a Great Depression If it looks like we were scared to death Like a couple of kids just trying to save each other You should have seen it in color one here was taken overseas in the middle of hell in 1943 in the winter time you can almost see my breath that was my tail gunner old Johnny McGee he was a high school teacher from New Orleans and he had my back right through the day we If it looks like we were scared to death Like a couple of kids just trying to save each other You should have seen it in color A picture's worth a thousand words But you can't see what those shades of gray keep cover You should have seen it in Summer sun all dressed up The day we said our vows You can't tell here But it was hot that June That rose was red And her eyes were blue And just look at that smile I was so proud That's the story of my Right there in black and white And if it looks like we were scared to death Like a couple of kids just trying to save each other You should have seen it in color Yeah, pictures worth a thousand words But you can't see what those shades of gray keep cover should have seen it in Okay, that's it for the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like to submit a question on hockey or just about anything else, 
email it to bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca, and we'll try to get it on the next Bobcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. That's at TSN Bob McKenzie. And for great hockey coverage all year round, follow the at TSN Hockey Twitter account and make tsn.ca your source for all things hockey, especially for the Tuesday and Thursday editions of Insider Trading with myself, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun. Thanks for tuning into the Bobcast. See you next time and have a great weekend.